Hi everyone, it's Dr. Denise, and this is the Embrace Your Neurostyle and Beyond series of the Dr. Denise Show. And I'm very honored. I met Dr. Joyce Spurgeon serendipitously last year through Facebook, and she wrote a heartfelt remembrance to her dear, dear friend. And we're going to then just start the show that way because I met you, Dr. Joyce, Dr. Joyce Spurgeon. Thank you so much for being back. But I met you in such an organic, heartfelt way. And I just want to say thank you for your time to come back on the show. Oh, it is my pleasure. I enjoy talking with you. So let's let's travel back. And the the way I met you, it was a Facebook group, I believe, for women doctors. And you were honoring your dear, dear closest friend. So do you want to just start out that way? I think it might be nice because it is so important with, with what we both do professionally. So Dr. Spurgeon's also a psychiatrist. She's a community psychiatrist, but we're both near and dear to prevention, mental health awareness. And that's how we met. We attracted each other because of that. Yeah, I think that... Um... You know, this is Suicide Prevention Month is September. Um, so every September, as well as in May and in October, just because those are the days I lost my friend. She died in May and she, her birthday was in October. I do something to remember her by. Um, my friend Jeannie died by suicide. Um, gosh, it's been almost 10 years ago now. Um, and I promised on the day that I went to her funeral, that I would not forget her and the way that she changed my life. And I'll be honest, as a psychiatrist, I had a lot of um, feelings to process because I felt like I failed her. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's what everybody who survives, somebody they love who commits suicide has some feelings of that. And I try to be very honest about those feelings because if as a psychiatrist, I can say that it allows patients and patients' families to feel and, and process what they need to do too. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think back when I was way back in training now, <laughs> um, I think there was something about being a doctor where we weren't allowed to be as vulnerable or share our own personal stuff. And I feel like that's generationally changed. And I think when you just shared that, I was thinking back because I've been fortunate to have you on the show, but for anyone listening for the first time, fortunate enough to know how much your dear friend meant to you and what you just said about being real, being authentic, being vulnerable, the further deeper we go in with our vulnerability, if someone else is experiencing that, a loss of a family member, a loss of a friend, or someone that's struggling with suicide right now that's still on the earth plane. And maybe you've been a great friend, a great parent, a great doctor, a great spiritual leader to help this person, but you realize you feel like the level of suffering and the level of dis-ease, having, being not at ease is so much. It's like overwhelming for you as well. And I think that I feel like starting there, you know, I'm, we'll talk about prevention, you know, next, but I feel like that feeling state of almost your own helplessness when maybe you've done everything you could as a friend, or you've made the referrals or 
but the person's not engaging and they're just, they just gave up. And I feel like you have such a lovely way of thinking about that, not only as Jeannie's dear friend, but the way you work with your patients. So can you even go deeper in that? Like maybe some situations where people have been struggling and more of even more of what you've told of them of what it was like for you? I think that it, it's interesting in that whatever happens prior to somebody actually committing suicide, their brain does something that most of us can't understand. And so I will say to people, you know, whoever it is they're talking about in their right mind would not have considered this because most of us can't fathom, even when we're having a bad day, like what it takes to actually go through with a suicide attempt. But something happens to people where they, um, you know, are not thinking about the people who love them and all the other things um, that sometimes leads to very disastrous consequences. And I talk with patients a lot about you wish that you could fix it, but the reality is you don't understand it. And we understand the outcome because we know what the outcome is. So everything before it makes a lot more sense of, oh, why didn't I know they said this? Well, people say certain things all the time that don't make us think they're actually going to kill themselves. And so it's really hard to predict. And I think that's the hardest thing as a psychiatrist, because obviously our job is to try to keep people safe. Um, But we don't know who's going to actually do it versus who's not. And that's a very scary sort of vulnerable place to live, particularly when you know some of your patients are really sick. Um, And I guess I wish that there was an easier way that we could say, oh, we can save everybody. But I think the truth is we have to accept that sometimes this is a terminal disease. And not that we don't give up trying because the truth is we don't give up on cancer patients. We try and try and try the same thing with depression. But when the outcome is suicide, I think we view it as a failure and we view it as a personal, we didn't do enough. And we being the mental health community, the family, the friends, all the people around the person, when in truth, it could just be the end point of disease. Right. So one of the, this is very, we went straight to the point, which I'm glad we are. I want to say in my, all my, I don't know, 50,000 hours of experience right now as an adult and child psychiatrist, that the time when I find people were right at that cusp of making that decision, and then the ones that did decide to stay here on earth, we'll talk general mental health diagnoses in a minute, but I just want to talk the despair level. Mm -hmm. What comes to mind is the mood state of despair, the -hmm. mood state of hopelessness, and often guilt. It becomes a point where the mindset is so much like, there's no way I can function on earth. I'm suffering so much. And they literally, at that moment, what's been confided in me is believe that they're a burden to everyone else. So they, in their mind, think that everyone's going to be better without them. 
Yes. And that to me has been the common theme I've seen when it gets to that level of seriousness. And when I start hearing that, that's when I'm like, OMG, this person either needs to be hospitalized, they need treatment every day, they need to do a contract for safety. But sometimes people just don't tell everyone, even, and I've, and sometimes people don't tell the truth. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say that the, I want to reiterate despair hopelessness and feeling guilty, like they're a burden to everyone else. I know there's way more traits, but those are some of the most deep, like 911, I don't want to be here on earth feeling states. Do you want to tag off that and and see if you agree with that? Or if you want to share anything else with that moment where it's the most intense where you and I have like assessed people and they're really contemplating. I would agree that probably the biggest one I see the most is somehow I'm a burden and people would be better off without me. I don't know how many times in the course of a week of seeing a lot of patients that I say, in case your brain is telling you that your family would be better off without you, please take it from me as a professional that I have never, ever, ever had anybody sit in front of me who lost somebody to suicide who said, my life is so much better because so-and-so killed themselves. Never, mm-hmm. never heard those words. And and again, even if they're not thinking that, because I know that's a constant or a common thought, I want to give them some words back to that. So You know, we teach people all the time that one of the things that we want to do when our thoughts are going down a path they should not be is how do we redirect? And so I try very hard to give them, even if they're just borrowing my words, that's okay for the beginning of treatment of here are some words you can use to redirect. I promise you the people around you will never be better because you're not here. And how is that received? It usually makes them cry. Oh. Well, and that's another deeper feeling state, and it's a vulnerability. And I think for, you know, tears are very healing. Mm -hmm. I think when you get to that point, too, when it becomes more real, the way you just said that out loud, I think there's a lot of myth busting. If you do have a family member, a friend, or if you're a clinician listening if you're a clinician listening, you've possibly experienced this, but going straight into the matter at hand and addressing it head on as a professional is the way to go. Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes people think you're front loading someone, you know, but what you and I are trained to assess if someone's suicidal or unsafe. Uh, but before I became a full practicing doctor and board certified adult and child psychiatrist, I had a family member when I was in medical school that um, was suicidal Mm -hmm. and I was assessing it from a distance on the phone and which I know sounds a little bit cutting edge, but this just happens, right? It was at a different time too. It was in, oh my gosh, like 1991. So it's been, it was years before people even talked about, oh, you can call 988. You can call the suicide hotline. It just wasn't talked about. And I was in my internal medicine rotation and I literally left. I took a leave of absence for a month from medical school to go and be with the family member. They did get their own professional help. 
Mm-hmm. And they've done shows on this, but I don't, I didn't ask permission to talk about this, but I would rather be really transparent that this is, I think, before I decided to go into psychiatry, um, when I had a family member contemplate this, it was also something where they had tried a substance that was laced with something, just a one experimental try of pot, and it was laced with something that altered their thinking, and it was very serious. And mm-hmm. the, so, and I, I at the time asked more specific questions. I literally said, are you feeling like you don't want to be here anymore? And then, then they went on and shared their whole train of thought. There was some paranoia involved, but it literally helped save their life because had I not asked that question, we wouldn't have known how serious. And at the time, no one really knew. I mean, it was not a time like it is now where you're always hearing your mental health, you're this, you're that. I mean, I'm so grateful that the world shifted, but we've come a long way, baby. But there's still a lot of myth busting of what you should ask someone, how you should do the safe. So the real suicide prevention, you know, we'll go back to the bread and butter of mental health and holistic health in a little bit. But this real time of when someone is having despair, hopelessness, or feeling like a burden, And at that younger age that I was at, my young mid-20 self intuitively just knew to ask. This is before I was trained. Now, I'm not saying if you're not a trained professional, you know, be mindful, be careful, just, you know, still hold sacred space for your friend or family member, but it's okay to be a little bit more direct. It's almost a relief, just like Dr. Spurgeon, when she um, does those direct comments. Like I've never met any family member that feels like they were, you know, relieved that someone was gone. That's a very direct, it makes it more real. And it, it almost like brings someone back, the person that's contemplating suicide more back to a reality because they're, they're, they're having a, an unreality of, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here, but that's how they're feeling. So it's an awful despair feeling. But when you go into the suffering and talk with someone straight on and come up with practical solutions as a professional, we were trained, but if you have a family member or a friend and you say, oh my goodness, have you ever thought like, you know, the world would be better off without you? And like, yes. You're like, okay, well, that's not true. We, we love you. We care about you. Let's come up with an action plan. So we try to do whether we're the professional or not the best that we can. And by the way, my family member is now like went on to absolutely thrive in every way. And I'm going to just leave it at that because I just want to be respectful. I'd rather have asked permission. (laughs) Um, You know, so I just wanted to say though, I, I have hope. And by the way, that instance of a family member of mine thinking about that. And then also I was very fortunate that my father, when I was age 11, chose sobriety. So my father chose sobriety And I can say that because that's very known. Um, And I had another family member and it made me kind of pivot. I was thinking of going into pediatrics or emergency medicine, but I kept throughout medical school. And then with that family member thinking about not wanting to live, it made me really shift over into the mental health and psychiatry world. So I just wanted to be vulnerable because you did lose Jeannie and I want to just send love and light to Jeannie's spirit and us really talking in a more vulnerable way during Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And I also, I just want to express hope and gratitude because I had a family member that was contemplating, but they're still here and they're thriving. 
So I wanted to just say that there's all different outcomes, but it's real. And I think sometimes these deeper dives are not as easy to discuss. I would agree. And I think that it's, again, it feels like a failure in some way for those who are left behind. So it is hard to say, gosh, I feel like I should have done something different. And again, your rational mind knows that you did everything you could with what you knew at the time, but that doesn't make it feel better. Oh, no, absolutely not. So let's, since we're on that, since we started here, can you, after you lost Jeannie, and by the way, I, I know it's 10 years, but it probably feels like in some ways it was just the other day. What are the things you would, like you did, what did the community do to honor her life? And I know you mentioned at the beginning of the show, you do things to honor her. And that's how I met you. You wrote the most beautiful, eloquent remembrance of her on a Facebook post. And then I know you wrote another beautiful post that you gave me to include last year. Can we go to like sort of the other things you did to sure um, self-care for you? And then maybe we can then start it if you're needing help. We can kind of start there so, so that people don't, if they are even going down a depression path, you and I can walk them through all the different help too. Yeah. I think for me, um, I was an attending psychiatrist at an academic institution at that time. So the day I found out that she had killed herself, I was rounding on a unit of patients. Um, and it was a unit that she had been admitted to at one point, not, not under my care, but under someone else. Um, and I can remember, I, I mean, I still remember that feeling of, I don't think I can do this. Um, and I pride myself in being a worker. You know, I don't, I go to work, you know, and I do, I do the best I can for my patients, you know, on a daily basis. Um, and I ended up finishing up the morning, um, just because the residents working with me were just fantastic. Um, but I did not go to work for a while. Um, because well, I, I just want, I'm not putting my hand on my heart when you just said, I don't think I can do this anymore. I just want to, I have like tears of compassion traveling back in time because if we're, when we're, but it's not about you or me or whoever it is, but that feeling state of, wow, like how did I miss this? Or how did I like that feeling? Cause there's something, I've got this like wonder woman feeling at times being a doctor and a mama, yeah. but, but there's that like, almost like, oh, it's hard to put into words, this vulnerability of, well, I failed. What does, what does this all mean? Right. And I think for me, it was I failed one of the people who means the most to me in the world. And here I am trying to take care of these people who I don't know. Um, and is this really is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? I mean, those were the thoughts. Um, again, I they're not exactly the most rational, but you're not the most rational when you've lost somebody you love. Um, but also, but I also want to say though, I actually, <clears throat> I feel like that feeling of what is this all about? It's like an existential question. Mm -hmm. What am I doing here? Why am I here? What is my role? 
if I'm doing this and I, and I thought that I was showing up as a good friend and this and that. So I feel like this real vulnerability of, I failed someone who means the most to me in the world. What, what am I doing here? That is so vulnerable and so raw. And I feel like in the other shows we've done, we didn't even go to this level. And I appreciate that you are. And I hope we can now like take you, take us through all the healing that you did. And I hope that in this moment, am I talking about Jeannie and talking about this event in a way that feels respectful to you? Because I want to make sure it's not too much. Oh, no, it it is fine. I okay. have done a lot of processing about Jeannie. Okay. I'll be honest. I feel like I'm at the point now that Jeannie was one of the best gifts of my life. Her mm. life, her death, all of it. Um, you know, do I wish I could change it? Absolutely. Because I'm really pissed that she's not going to be part of my, you know, We've always talked about sitting at the nursing home and complaining at each other um, together. Um, And I won't get that opportunity. Um, But I have learned more through this process. And when you say existential crisis, I mean, the reality for me is I left the job I was in. I moved to a community hospital that's actually where I grew up. to take care of the mental health needs of the community that raised me. Um, And to me, that felt like the best outcome for making sense of why I'm on this earth and what I could have done differently for my friend. Oh, I actually just, I just, I felt right when you just said that, I didn't even know that. This is the first time I, I'm just getting that. It's like you wanted to go back home to your community and protect your community, like the roots, what raised you, what you're grateful for. And in some way, even have a greater connection to her in your, in your next phase of practicing psychiatry. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful. Yes. I I mean, I, I think, (laughs) I don't know. Oh, you're so funny. Dr. Joyce has got such a dry wit too, everyone. I know. So this might be a good, so you also, from what I know of you on other shows and everyone's different, you know, we all have the reason why this is embraced your neuro style and beyond is that we all process and perceive things in our own unique way with the fabulous five biological, psychological, social, cultural, spiritual, and six sense intuition. And I'm very fortunate to have Dr. Joyce Spurgeon on different shows. And I feel like we've honored Jeannie and others in other ways, but this is my first time holding sacred space for going to that moment of her finding out. Uh, But then you have such a quick wit to you. So I feel like we can maybe kind of go in a little bit more, like you just said something so elevated that the way you're now 10 years later, that just all of everything about knowing Jeannie and the way you've processed her loss has made you to this point of now where there's gratitude for your life, your family, your work, but there's still a sacred remembrance of Jeannie. And you've also shared with me that you have a really strong faith and everyone's different. That's part of the neuro style. Some people believe in the soul. Some people don't. Some people believe in God. Some people don't. Buddha, Jesus, agnostic, whatever your belief system's yours. But we're talking about Dr. Spurgeon now. And have you felt the energy or remembrance or little signs or little, what if, what, how has Jeannie helped you in so many ways since she's passed? I think um, one of the things that is clear to me is when you're gone, you, 
want there to be some feeling that you mattered or that what you did mattered or even just the people you loved that it there was something there that you contributed to um and i think i never thought i would lose my buddy you know before we were 40 um and as i watched she actually just had her son just had another baby well his wife had a baby um 2 days ago and as i watched them bring grandchildren her grandchildren into this world um i see them honoring their mom and reaching out to them and just the levels of how little things really have a ripple effect and not that suicide is a little thing, but reaching out to her children is a little thing for me, but it matters to them. Her daughter texts me one night when her, her child was not, hadn't urinate, hadn't had a wet diaper in a while and was like, what do I do? And, and I was just like, give her some more water, <laughs> you know, um, but just, she was a nervous mom. And just that gift of Jeannie connects us all. Um, and, you know, Jeannie's parents were my second set of parents. And so I have people who love me, um, again, in a way that you don't get many people love you in your life. And so I think she's here amongst us all. Um, and we carry her with us. That's beautiful. So this is a best friend, but the entire family system was a kinship family for you. I mean, they lived, she lived down the road. She's the first person I met when we moved to the state of Indiana. And we spent um, our childhood, you know, after church on Sunday, we'd say, what are you making for dinner to our moms? And then we decided where we were eating based on which food we liked the best. Oh, what was, what was, uh, what was Jeannie's favorite meal? What was yours when you were a kid? Um, mine's always spaghetti, 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 lots of spaghetti. Um, she was more of a, um, meat person. So like if my, my parents like to grill out on the week on Sunday afternoon. So a lot of times she was excited if they were grilling out. So it just depended. Well, I appreciate, I feel like this is such a nice time that we've honored your dear friend and you and I, is there anything else you want to say about Jeannie? I want to just respect before, I just want to kind of shift gears on kind of what you and I do to help people with mental health. And, you know, we did a show about ready for help. So we'll cover some of that and I'll put the link, but sir, I want to make sure is there anything else you want to say about Jeannie or advice you would give anyone or anything else that we didn't honor in this moment? I would say to anyone listening who has lost somebody by suicide that it is important if you feel guilt or if you feel shame or whatever, you know, that feels out of proportion that you don't feel like you know what to do with. It's so important to talk to somebody because you lose the person if you don't process the feelings of how the person died. And that would be the biggest loss ever if you weren't able to go back and embrace what was really good and beautiful about their life. I love that. So really processing the trauma and the feelings and letting yourself cry, seeking help, relying on that so that you get to the point where it doesn't feel like you can't talk about it and that there's shame. So, cause lots of time if there's suicide, there's a shame. So once you process it and you have the support system, 
you can go back and really honor and celebrate the moments of Jeannie's bright smile, all the great things about her, what would Jeannie say, so that you've kind of really integrated the, the grief, but you've shifted the energy of grief into more peace. Never that you would ever want her to not be there, but more of the inner peace we can given the trauma. And then just celebrate life. I think when we have any loved one that's been lost, they would want us to have a joyful life. I would, I would imagine Jeannie wouldn't want you to be devastated. And in her mind, she thought it was going to be better. She was in a very, I think you've said it was a sick brain before on other shows. It was an unwell brain. So you want to celebrate all the moments that were the greatest moments with that person after you've let yourself have all your feelings. Yep. Okay. Well, I feel like we took a different turn on this show compared to others, and I'm glad we did because it was very raw and vulnerable. I want to end on a hopeful note, and maybe we could just let people know that, I mean, I can say out of all these years, I've seen so many people that were having symptoms of depression, sadness, grief, why am I here? contemplation and with the right team and the right tools in the toolbox. You know, I have many people that, you know, went on to have lots of children, people that are doing great things in the world. So people can get the right help and go and see um, either a doctor, it depends on the level of severity of the symptoms, if they're going to need medication. It's really more about getting the right team and addressing the mental health with a good assessment. I will give a little bit of data on that after you do, but you want to just start kind of giving any hopeful things that you've seen where people were in that despair and it was a prevention intervention where they were able to turn it around? I mean, I have several patients who are post-suicide attempts and some who didn't get to the actual acting on the um, thoughts stage, which is obviously our goal. Um, and, and honestly that have gone on and they're doing great. And sometimes it's the process of, um, getting to that lowest of low that makes them realize, whoa, I've got to stop and pay attention and really start picking, you know, what I want in my life. Um, and sometimes that is as simple as reminding people um, that you they're okay. I, again, I spend a lot of times talking to people and when they're very distressed, sometimes I'll stop them and I'll say, you know, I just want to take a moment and remind you that right now in this moment, you are talking about some really hard stuff, but you're okay. You're safe. None of this stuff is going to happen to you again. You know, you are okay. It doesn't mean we don't have hard work to do, but the importance of foundational, you know, that inner foundation and building on whatever building blocks are important to each person, because everybody has different ones, but to sit something there that we sit upon so that when the thoughts come, we can say, wait a minute, I'm okay. I can choose to do this instead of listening to that. Yes. And I actually just thought of a, because we're talking suicide prevention, I have to tell you, I'm thinking exactly a flashback to an appointment I had. It was during the pandemic. 
And the person did get to the point where they were saying they'd be better off, their parents would be better off, their life is awful, it's miserable, their depression had hit. They had kind of gone out of treatment for three years. I hadn't seen them, didn't know what was going on. They were they had a diagnosis of major depression, dysthymia, and also mild autism spectrum, but high thriving. And I remember thinking to myself, wait, I know that if we engaged the parents in the appointment, I asked permission. I said, you know, you're feeling that way, but let's, are you okay if we, they're an adult, if we invite your parents to a session and they agreed. And I made sure we went through and they told, and I had them each write a letter as well as them contracting for safety, getting back on their meds that worked. And in that moment, because even when you're there with your family members telling you, I love you, I want you to stay, I didn't feel like this individual was hearing it because there was such a disconnect like you talked about earlier in the show. So I not only had them contract for safety, we were possibly going to have day treatment or hospitalization if they couldn't contract, but I had the parents write a handwritten note about how much they love the person, you know, anything. I was at that point of my own what are the tools in the toolbox can get them out of that mindset. So that was a very effective tool. And I told that person to always read that to remember. Now it doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone because everyone's level of despair can be um, different. But I just wanted to say, I've, I've seen throughout the years, I've, I work with all ages, children, adults, and in my area of the country, which is Manhattan beach, I have a private practice. I, I was at UCLA for my child psychiatry I will tell you that, number one, not keeping your despair, your sadness, or your, like, why am I here to yourself? So having, remembering that you're not alone and any Mm -hmm. first step that you make, whether it's to a dear friend, to your spiritual leader, a lot of people find a lot of comfort with their pets. So Mm -hmm. feeling like a sense of you're not alone And the first step is being able to not shame yourself, to ask for help, to not judge your own feelings around feeling like you don't want to be here. And then after that, like, let's say you feel comfortable telling your primary care doctor, you can say, I really need therapy, or I really need to see a psychiatrist. Wherever you start is a great start. And we do have these hotlines now, but I say, I would say go to your primary care doctor if you're feeling that way and get a referral to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And depending on the level of severity, your own doctor and clinician will determine the treatment plan. You and I can do broad strokes with that. But I think that moment when someone's feeling hopeless or in despair or I shouldn't, it's a crucial time to reach out for help. And I think sometimes the unwell brain just got to such despair that that doesn't even, that's not even a step they think of. They don't even think that there's help. They feel so alone. The other thing I found to be helpful is when people start to feel better um, is having them write a note to their sort of unwell self and not long. So something they can easily keep so that if they feel themselves slipping back into a depression, they can pull that out and, and sort of remember, I don't always feel like this. You know, it will get better. These are some of the things that I can do to, to help myself feel better. Because each time we get into a bad spot, and unfortunately for some people, that's more than once, um, 
we learn something in the process. And so using what we learn from a bad episode sometimes can help prevent the next one. Yes. And one, one of the things that I've noticed and we're, this is on suicide prevention, but in every feeling state of anyone that's ever come to see me, whether they have severe ADHD, depression, suicidality, bipolar, generalized anxiety, when we start, this is part of the human experience too, even if you've never seen a professional, sometimes there's trauma triggers. There's events that might happen on the news, or we might hear about a shooting, or we might hear about someone else that took their life. So we can be in a good mental health or mental wellness space, but then all of a sudden information comes at us on earth and it gets us our, a feeling of despair. And a lot of people then have confided that, oh my goodness, is the other shoe going to drop off? I'm feeling sad today. And what you just said about like kind of remembering that you might've felt this way before, but you can also climb out of it. So I think what the most important thing in wellness, mental health, wellness, suicide prevention is it's up to all of us, no matter what age, background, neuro style we have, to have a set of wellness tools that really work for us. And maybe we can go through that because I feel like part of suicide prevention and awareness is remembering that there is no health without mental health at every moment of time. Every decision we make allows us to want to stay on earth longer. So can you and I just, do you want to do tag your it where you mention some great wellness things that you think are just part of great mental health, like brushing our teeth every day? So I talk to people all the time about, okay, what are the things you do when you feel good? Like, what are your habits? Because normally our habits when we're feeling good are our best habits. And that usually involves getting enough sleep at night. Again, very simplistic. Um, dietary, you know, control, whatever that means for each person. I don't have a formula, but most people will say like, when I'm getting depressed, I know like I crave carbs and I start eating stuff I shouldn't, then I feel bad. And then I feel bad about feeling bad. And you know, that cycle begins. So I do very simple. Let's keep a sleep log. Let's keep up with what you're eating, you know, and when an exercise, exercise to me is the best release ever. Um, just because all the feelings you have, there's a place for them to just get just a little of that pressure taken off of whatever you feel inside um, with a good cardio workout. Um, but I'll tell people, you know, when you start paying attention to yourself and knowing, hey, I might be slipping a little bit, that is the time not when you start, you know, when you're in the depths of depression, when you start feeling anything that feels like depression is, okay, how am I eating? How am I sleeping? What, you know, what am I doing to exercise? Or if you can't exercise, take care of yourself, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's journaling, whether it's um, some kind of creative venture, but something to allow yourself to let some of the feelings out. Yes. And what I'm hearing too, first of all, I love what you said when you said dietary control, because, and I like the way you said that that could be unique for you. And that's part of the whole neuro style of sensory perception. And just a broad piece of advice would be an anti-inflammation nutrition plan, which is the least amount of sugar and processed foods. And then you're going to have your own way your metabolism is. So I love that you said that. And I feel like a routine, I think whether you're 
suffering with any thoughts of not wanting to be here or you're at the top of your game, we do really well when we break down a routine. And then for something that I do, and everyone has different belief systems. So whether it's setting an intention, putting your hand on your heart and wishing someone well, I part of my healthy exercise routine is swimming or sometimes I do walking in the pool with weights and I do prayer. I believe in a higher power and I send people messages. Even if you're not sure that there's a God, you can access your level of faith. And I put my hand, I actually devoted laps to people. I call a friend in crisis and I've, I've integrated my fitness with my, my meditation and prayer. And it's such a great ritual that sets the foundation for hope. Because I feel like when we get to that point, if anyone's in despair, we've got to figure out what makes us happy, what gives us hope, and how can we do self-care. So we've got the sleep, dietary control. We talked about anti-inflammation, nutrition, exercise, routine, prayer, or meditation. I would also say if you're in a great space and you have extra time and you're deciding you know, what to do, you know, if you have the opportunity to volunteer or just listen, hold some sacred space for someone... I have a dear friend that is going through an unimaginable fraud situation. And I went through a fraud back in 2018. There's a whole series, Rocking a Betrayal. And I alchemized the feeling state of being targeted with my Dr. Denise brand. And I, I was, it was unimaginable, Dr. Spurgeon, what I went through. But I didn't want to be in victim mode. So one of the things I do now, I've alchemized that, got through that, lead a wonderful, balanced life. But I hold sacred space for a dear friend that's going through that. So let's say you have a family member or someone else that's going through a crisis and you have the energy power pellets to either volunteer your ear or volunteer out in the community. When we do that, we feel less alone and we feel more connected and we're in service it's really a big mental health gift. It's like an infinity loop when we volunteer. I would agree. My oldest son is a, gosh, he's a sophomore in college now. And he is a big um, guy who wants to, people, the kids in college to volunteer with him. So he sets up all their philanthropy events at his fraternity and stuff. And, and he said, mom, when I'm doing those things, I realize all the things that are hard in my life are nothing compared to what some of these people live with every day. And I tell people all the time that, you know, if you can get outside of your own brain, you always can get perspective that, hey, there are things that could be worse. And that's, that's a cliche, and I'm, I'm not trying to trivialize anybody's pain, but the truth is you can always find somebody who's in a worse position than you are. Yes. And I feel like that's a really, that statement, I just, right when you said that, and I thought about your son, um, I just got, you are not alone. I'm going to say it two more Mm -hmm. times. You are not alone. You are not alone. There's one of the other big things in suicide prevention and awareness, also just mental wellness. Cause I like to talk mental wellness instead of illness and be, be very empowered is people feel alone. So when we're volunteering or we're connecting, whether we also help the earth, there's all sentient beings, people can be in nature. I feel like that's a big thing. I I mentioned it indirectly about my time at the pool, but part of my ritual when I walk to the pool 
is I love the trees. I, I see them as like watching over me. I, I have butterflies come up. I, I remember that I'm part of something bigger than just my own mind and my own mind universe. So when we're volunteering and helping humans or if we're extending that to animals or the earth, there's a rem- remembrance, almost like a humble remembrance that there's so much out there that we can be in awe of and grateful for. And it sounds like when your son's volunteering, he accesses that greater sense of purpose. It's the opposite of an existential crisis. It's more like this humbled awareness that we're all in it together. Yes. And I think the other part of it is, is it gets you outside of your own head. And when people are depressed or struggling or even not struggling, just, you know, tired of school, whatever it is, um, if we stay in our own head, you can get where you're ruminating. And again, it gets worse and worse and worse. And when you go and try to do something good for someone else, it pulls you into a different sphere of thinking. And it's just a healthier place to be. Yes. And yes. And I was going to say, there's one of my um, phrases that I haven't used on the show that feels like important. I always the other vibrational frequency, we talked to all these wonderful tools, sleep, dietary control, anti-inflammation, exercise, routine, volunteerism. And then the other thing I was going to say is just finding your own state of gratitude. Gratitude is my secret sauce. Everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. And what does gratitude, like I was so grateful, like oh, when I woke up, I'm like, oh, I get to talk to Dr. Joyce today. Oh, I love coffee. So I make very kind of what would seem things that we could take for granted. I turn them into a gratitude vibrational frequency that keeps me in a state of more inner peace. And then I'm able to access the highest, best joyful day. So I feel like finding your own practice of gratitude and how that looks to you. There was a time when I had um, an injury of severe shoulder pain and I had surgery. I remember the pain was so much and I didn't want to take the pain meds because I didn't want it to mess with my brain. I did a little bit post-surgery, but then I just sat there and I had stationery and I have a box of stationery where I write gratitude notes and write notes to people. So when my mind got away from the pain, I shifted to everything that was going right and I was sending other people love. So it's also when you become your own mastery of your own wellness, you come up with what I call quantum hacks, unseen energy hacks, like a state of joy, a state of gratitude so that you can lift and elevate yourself. So that's another kind of tool in the toolbox I have to keep sane on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and I think that, again, in the process of looking for something good, we can always find something, even if it's a small something. And again, we know from all the you know, scientific research on cognitive behavioral therapy. If you're concentrating on good, you're more likely to feel better. Right. Right. So I feel like as we're wrapping up, because we have another show that I'll put a link to like ready for help. So people know all the things that we we did a really lovely show that I feel is like universal. I would say when someone gets to the point of absolute despair, if they're at that suicide prevention, reaching out for help, seeing your primary care doctor, working with a trained professional, psychiatrist, psychologist, and then your own faith perspective. And then these other wellness, your sleep, your routine, your diet, your exercise, your volunteerism. When people are in that level of despair, 
oftentimes it's hard just to even stay in the moment. So it's like you're rebuilding and scaffolding your life when it gets to that point. And then if you've ever lost someone from suicide, Dr. Joyce was so vulnerable today and so wonderful and sharing that she really took some time off work. She took a great look at her life. Then she's been honoring and celebrating the remembrance of Jeannie with her family and friends. So Jeannie's still alive in spirit because Dr. Joyce took the time to really process her feelings. So I just wanted to give everyone a deeper dive on, you know, suicide prevention awareness, but from a real vulnerable state. And I put hand on my heart. I'm grateful that my family members here and enjoying their beautiful life. So there is hope people can get through depression and some people don't. And it's part of any medical thing that can happen, but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. However, we lose someone hurts. And then Dr. Joyce, can you tell, is there anything else you wanted to say as we're wrapping up? No, I think we've covered a whole gamut of things today. (laughs) I do. And I just want to thank you. And also, um, I believe that energy always exists. So I, when I, if I've ever lost someone or have a family member or someone that I respect in my own mind, the way I understand the universe, I send gratitude and ask for them to become like my angel, so to speak. So I just want to thank the spirit of Jeannie because I believe she is, you know, however I believe or anyone might believe that she's helped guiding us in our heart to have these conversations. And I also want to thank you, Dr. Spurgeon, for being so vulnerable and for all the work you're doing with your patients um, and your part of the world. And can you let everyone know like where you're practicing and if they're nearby that how they can reach you and get, get be under your care? Um, I actually practice in Seymour, Indiana, which is a very, very small town um, in a independent community hospital called Schneck Medical Center. And most of our referrals come through our local primary care doctors. I work very closely with the doctors in the area because there's not many psychiatrists in the state of Indiana. <laughs> Wow. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for our time today. And everyone, um, I haven't been asking this and I'm almost at 400 shows. If you love the show, I, I, please write a review and maybe Dr. Spurgeon, you could, I, I've never, I haven't asked that, but you know, I'm going next level. I'm going to keep reaching more people. So let's get the word out. Cause I think there's a lot of great content and, uh, Dr. Spurgeon, thank you again. Thank you again so much for our time today. It is my pleasure. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.